good to be here at Porch Light Baptist Church this morning. Glad to have those that are here and those watching online. I do want to give a few prayer requests before we get started. I remember the family of Agnes Reed. She passed away in a house fire last Sunday. Uh, this is my son-in-law's grandmother. And so you pray for that family. It was a terrible tragedy. Just uh, pray the Lord will help them during this time. Uh, remember Angela Bowman in your prayers, having some health problems. Also, Martha Roberts, who has cancer. Uh, pray for the recent graduates that graduated here this, this uh, past week. <clears throat> remember the lost, and, and remember our missionaries, the Blands family and the Sauter family and the Marshalls. Uh, the Marshalls are actually headed into the U.S. I believe their daughter's getting married, and so they're coming in for that. Uh, but remember all of our missionaries and then pray for next week we will not have services here we're going to be at um, Outreach Baptist Church where my friend Pastor Jonathan Tharp is the pastor and he's asked me to preach both services next Sunday at Outreach so that's 11 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. we'll be there and then the following Sunday on uh, June the 4th I'll be at Northside Baptist Church preaching for the morning service. They're not going to have an evening service on that day, but uh, 1045 morning service, I'll be there at Northside on June 4th. So remember these two uh, services or meetings coming up in the next two Sundays, and there'll be no services here at Porchlight. Remember all these requests. <clears throat> and so uh, before we get into the message, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning asking for your help with these prayer requests that we've mentioned today. Lord, you know those that are dealing with sickness and death, and Lord, uh, the problems they're going through, the pain that some are in. Lord, we pray that you give them comfort and relief. Uh, God, we pray for those that graduated recently, that Lord, that you'll guide their footsteps and they'll always look to you for guidance in their life and what they should do from here on out. And God, we pray for those missionaries that we support out there on the mission field. We pray for uh, Jeremy Blands and his wife, Michelle, Lord, and his family. God, we pray, Lord, that you watch over them down in Costa Rica. Lord, and for the Sauter family, uh, we pray for uh, Brother Justin and his wife, God, that you'll help them over in Zambia, Africa, as they continue, as they build and grow there in that church. And Lord, we pray for the Marshall family, Lord, that you'll give them safe travels on their way to the U.S. and watch over their family, God, and help them in those uh, in those foreign countries they're in. And God, we just uh, we pray for the lost today, Lord, that we can do or say something that'll that'll help, Lord, to wake them up, God, and the Holy Spirit will convict their heart for their need to be saved. Lord, help us here at Porchlight. May we always give you glory. For in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, so keep those prayer requests in your thoughts this week. <clears throat> and we're still in our sermon series in the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at, Lord willing, this morning, John chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. John chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. I've titled the message this morning, Condemned for Unbelief. Condemned for Unbelief. We'll go ahead and read our text this morning, John chapter 3, starting with verse 17. 
And here the Bible says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Father, thank you for the reading of your scripture. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we pick up here where we left off last, uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, we were last in here as we looked at John 3.16, and uh, we did a deep dive into that verse, and we looked at several things. I've got seven listed here that we looked at. Just quickly, uh, God's love and how his love is a sacrificial love, much unlike our love, which is usually contingent upon someone loving us back or something pleasing us. God's love's not like that. It's completely sacrificial and all-encompassing. We looked at the whosoever in that verse and saw that it's those whom God has willingly drawn to himself is the ones that whosoever will go to him. Uh, We also saw that the only begotten Son is Jesus, and that means he's the one and only of his kind. Uh, We also touched on free will briefly, and we saw that we have as much free will as God allows us to have, that God is sovereign and everything goes through him. And so if we have free will, it's only because God has allowed us to have free will. We talked about how the only way a person will turn from their sin and turn toward Christ as their Savior is if God the Father draws him, and he's drawn by the Holy Spirit. We discussed how we must believe in Christ and his finished work on the cross in order to be saved. And we talked about how the word eternal means everlasting, forever, and never ending. So those are seven key things that we looked at in John 3.16, which goes right along with our verses this morning, which shows us kind of the the flip side of John 3.16, and that is, if you don't believe in Jesus, then then what happens? Well, that's where we pick up this morning. Now, I want us to remember how this whole dialogue has taken place. The whole conversation started when this man Nicodemus, who the Bible says was a Pharisee, and a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night. The Bible doesn't say that he asked Jesus a question, but that Jesus answered him anyway, and said that to have, in order for him to have eternal life, that he must be born again, or for, in order for him to see the kingdom of God. That was the, the thought on, on Nicodemus's heart that Jesus knew and understood. And so he answered him, in order for you to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And so Jesus goes into giving him an earthly physical uh, example through the birth of a baby through a mother's womb. And although it was an earthly example, it was really a, a, uh, a spiritual example that he was supposed to understand. But Nicodemus, being fleshly, not having Christ, had no discernment where spiritual things are concerned. 
And so he didn't understand it. And he started asking silly questions. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus actually called him out on, on his his unknowing of these things. He said, you mean to tell me you're a ruler of the Jews? You, you, and you don't understand these, these things. And so uh, then Jesus goes on to giving spiritual uh, things that he needs to understand about being born again. And he pointed him to the Old Testament scripture when Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole there, when God sent fiery serpents there to bite those and, and kill those in, in the camp of Israel who were sinning against God. And God gave them a, an ultimatum. He says, you must look at the serpent that's lifted up on the pole if you want to be saved. Even if they got bitten, if they got bit, if they just by faith look at that serpent, trust that to save them, or the power that God has to save them through that, that they would live. And so he gave him that example because he's a Jew, he's a ruler of the Jews, he's a Pharisee, so he knows scripture back and forth. And when Jesus pointed out this scriptural reference about looking up at something and by faith to be saved, he's trying to show him these the spiritual thing about being born again. And so then Jesus starts pointing toward himself as the means. He, in fact, is the symbol of that serpent up on that pole that you must have faith to be born again, to, to live. And so Jesus puts himself in the place of that, the one to have faith in. It must be lifted up and for him to look to him for salvation. Now, Nicodemus, it doesn't appear, is getting this. And we understand from reading the Bible that Nicodemus probably did have uh, um, um, salvation. He probably did get saved, uh, had enough spiritual discernment to understand his need for salvation and to look to Christ to save him. Because later on, he comes there to help uh, after Jesus' death, and he helps out during the, the process of before he's buried to prepare the body. And so we believe that he did actually get saved, uh, although the Bible never comes out and states that fact. And so even though this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus occurred over 2,000 years ago, it is still the same message we preach today. There's nothing changed. We must point men to Jesus Christ for salvation and nothing else. There's no other thing needed besides Jesus Christ. No other person, no other thing, no work, nothing can replace just the need for Jesus to be the means of salvation. So, if we want to inherit the kingdom of God, go to heaven. That's the way we say it today in the Baptist church. We want to see heaven. We don't go around saying, I want to enter the kingdom of God. No, we say, I'm looking forward to being in heaven. And so, if we want to see heaven, if we want to see those that's been saved, that's went on, already passed on before us, then we must be saved. And the only means for that is through Jesus Christ to have eternal life. In fact, Peter was telling the Jerusalem council when, of course, they were trying to arrest him and John for preaching there in the synagogue and they were doing things and questioning them. And Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, there's many religions today that point you to other things and other people in order to be saved in their false religions. Only Christianity is the true religion today. And so, sadly, men and women today will look to other means besides Christ for salvation, whether it be their own works, 
their baptism. Many people believe their baptism has saved them. It has nothing to do with your salvation at all. Uh, they look to their religious process and routines, their rituals. They, the Catholics look to all those things that they go through. They look to the false doctrine, of, uh, you know, about uh, um, what purgatory. They look to that false doctrine, praying that someone could pray them out of that place, or they can pay enough money to get to get out of that place. And there's no such place mentioned in the Bible at all. And so men today want to look to every other means except for Christ to be saved. Or they want to add him in as part of their salvation process. Oh, yeah, well, we need Christ, but we need this, and we need that, and I've got to do this, and I've got to maintain this. And that's man's thoughts. Well, there is a great song. We sung it here today. We tried. I reckon I messed it up, but uh, it was written in 2001, by two men from the UK, uh, Keith Getty and Stuart Townend. And the title of it is In Christ Alone. Now, I don't like many songs that was written after 1960, but this is a good song. Um, it ought to be in our hymn book. But uh, listen to the, I want to read you two verses of it. Uh, the first verse says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. The second verse says, In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. What a wonderful uh, words to that, that song. And believe it or not, there were, uh, I believe it's the, maybe the Methodist. It was either the Methodist or the Presbyterians refused to add this song to their hymn book because he mentioned the wrath of God being satisfied. And they said that they didn't think that ought to be in their hymn book. Uh, they didn't believe in the wrath of God. They only look at the love of God. Well, the wrath of God is real. The Bible talks about it. And so this song is befitting because Jesus did please the wrath of God by dying on the cross to save us from our sins. And the truth is, if you're looking to some other means besides Christ to be saved, then you are bound for hell right now. And that's where you're going to end up if you don't believe in Christ for salvation. Uh, so, Jesus is trying to relay that truth upon Nicodemus. And so he says in verse 17, or opening text, John 3 and 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, last time we, we discussed about, uh, what that, that meant where it says the world. And we simply stated there, the world means the ungodly multitude the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. And I listed off several things like fornicators and murderers and rapists and uh, cheaters, whoremongers, all this unimaginable wicked sinners. But then I said, and that also includes us. So the world is all, everyone. Now, since the world was and still is lost, then the world needs a way to be reconciled to God. The only way to be reconciled to God is to please him, to please his wrath against sin. 
And the only uh, way to do that is through a sacrifice. Now, all through the Old Testament, the Jews, they had to have the sacrifices. There were daily sacrifices and, and weekly, monthly, yearly. All these sacrifices must have been done to atone for sin. But we needed someone that could do more than just cover our sins. We need someone who could wash away our sins as if they had never occurred to blot them out. And that one, that sacrifice, had to be a perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so God sent his son Jesus to be that sacrifice for us as he gave his life on the cross. They didn't take his life. He gave his life willingly. Now, as our text says in verse 17, God did not send his son to this world to condemn us. That wasn't the reason he sent him here. He sent him here to save us. Now, he could have sent Jesus here to condemn us because we're certainly under condemnation all the time because of our wicked and our sin. Um, and that word condemn actually means to judge or pass sentence on. Now, God very well could have done that when he sent Jesus here uh, to do it. In fact, there is going to be a day when that does happen. Jesus is going to judge and pass sentence and condemn the world. In John chapter 5, verses 22, we'll be in that in a, probably in a few months when we get there. But John 5 and 22 through verse 27, listen to what the Bible says. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. The Son is who? Jesus. Jesus. Verse 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, he that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which has sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Do you see that? So if you believe what I'm saying here, you believe in who I am and what I've done, then you will not come under condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. But as the Father hath life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself, and listen to this, and hath given him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. And so God the Father has given all rights to the Son to pass judgment upon mankind. Because Jesus identified with man. He's the son of man. We also read this over in the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 31. The Bible says, Because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. And so there Paul's talking about uh, the same thing here. The condemnation that's going to come to man the sinful man, the world, and notice he said he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. That means Jesus. God ordained Jesus to be the man that we are all to judge our righteousness by. And the only way you can do that is if you believed upon him, received him as Savior. And so the world that does not do that, the world that's in unbelief, they will be judged and condemned. So there will be a day when the Lord Jesus will, in fact, judge the world. But it, salvation will be too late at that point. 
judgment, condemnation is not a trial where a person goes on trial and gets to plead their case. They don't get to bring a lawyer along and say, well, while I'm here, you know, being condemned, uh, no, condemnation, it's over with. It's done. It's final. You've been condemned. That's your sentence. And so that sentence will be passed upon the lost world. Uh, and Christ will be that judge who sentenced them. Now, we as believers, we will not go through that type of judgment for our sins. Our sins have already been blotted out. They've been washed away. They've been cast as far from the east from the west and all the way into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered again. And so the saved person will not come under condemnation. They will not be judged for sins. But we will be judged for our works. Now, over in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now, when it's talking about good or bad, it's not talking about sinful things. It's talking about those things that you've done for the Lord Jesus after you were saved. And so those things are going to be weighed in the balance and see what's going to be burnt up and what's going to become gold, what's going to be given as a reward and what's not going to be. Uh, Romans 14 and 10 through verse 12 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So we will all stand before Jesus, the righteous judge. Those that are lost will be condemned for their sin and cast into hell. Those who are saved will be judged for their works and will either be given rewards or they will not be. And so those who believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation will not be condemned. And by the way, condemned to hell. That's where people that are condemned go to which is the context of our verses in John chapter 3. Basically, that's what condemned means, is mean being judged and sent to hell. Now, I saw something one of my preacher friends posted on social media this past week. It was actually pretty good. I liked it. And he posted, I'm so saved, I couldn't be lost if I wanted to be. <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? I like that. All right. Well, look at our next verse. In verse 18, John 3 and 18. Jesus goes on to say, He that believeth on him is not condemned. That's what we've been saying. But, here we go. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All right. Now, we need to make sure we understand what this verse is saying and what this verse is not saying. Okay? Because there's some confusion for some people. The part that says, He that believeth on him that does not mean anyone who believes that Jesus existed. That don't mean anyone that believes he is real. That don't mean anybody that, that believes that he was a great teacher or even that he was sent from God. It don't mean if you believe that. Every, everyone believes that. Um, so we see an example of that uh, when we were studying back in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Uh, when people were coming around as Jesus was teaching there after uh, after he got uh, baptized by John the Baptist and people will start following him. And it says in John 2 and 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, 
Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Now we've talked about that when we studied on that. And many believed in his name. Oh sure, we believe in that Jesus who he is and all those things he's doing. We believe that. But they don't believe on Jesus. They don't believe in him as a savior. And Jesus knew that. It's, the Bible says he knew all men. And so he did not commit himself. Why would he not commit himself to someone who truly believed in him for who he was? Well, he wouldn't. Uh, and don't forget what the Bible says in James 2 and 19. The Bible says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And we know the devils are not saved. They believe in Jesus. They believe in God. They believe there's only one God. But they're not saved. Uh, I get pretty irritated whenever I hear somebody say, Give Jesus a try. Come on. Give Jesus a try. You don't give Jesus a try. Uh, those same people are big on deathbed confessions. You know, uh, People that's on the brink of death. and Oh, get a preacher to come in there and, and try to save him. You know? And so somebody's lived like a wicked dog all their life, lived like they've been in hell all all their life, and then they think that some preacher's going to come in there and save them right before they die. There may be some that has been saved because they heard the gospel and they believed right there before they died. There may that may occur. All right, I'm not saying it can't, but these people that just call somebody will say, "Just call on the name of the Lord, now shall be saved." Calling on his name like that is not going to save you if you don't believe in him. You don't believe on him. You don't believe in what he did. You must believe in the gospel to be saved. Not just believe Jesus was real or that you can say his name. And so, you know, they'll say, well, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the only verse they want to quote out of that scripture. They forget what it says before that and what it says after that, and what it said all through the Bible before all that. So let's let's read that. Romans 10, chapter 9. I mean, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. <clears throat> so they want to point out verse 13, but they, they leave out 9, 10, 11, and 12, and 14, and 15, and 16, and 17. So let's look, look at it. Romans 10, 9. But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. All right, so we already see one contingent there. So it's more than just confessing your mouth to the Lord Jesus. You also must believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. In order to do that, you must believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the only way you can believe that. Verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now here it is. Listen to this. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? There it is. So this person on their deathbed never believed in Jesus, maybe they never heard the gospel, and then suddenly, right there in the last few seconds of their life, somebody says, call the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Lord, save me. Do you think that saved him? 
How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You must believe. You must believe. And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so it, it believing on him entails much more than just surface belief or head knowledge of who he is and what he did. To believe on Jesus means you believe in who Jesus is. What he did, why he did it, and why you need him. So there's four things there that you need to know. You need to know who he is, what he did, why he did it, why you need him. Now, first, who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. He was sent here to be the Savior of the world. You must believe that. You must believe what he did. He gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He was buried and rose again in three days. So, in other words, the gospel. You must believe what he did. He came here to give us the gospel. You must believe why he did it. Why did he do it? He did it for the world, meaning us, so that we could be saved and not have to suffer the penalty for our sins, which is everlasting punishment in hell. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he did it so that we could have everlasting life and not perish. Why do you need him? You need him because you realize you're lost with no way to save yourself and he's the only means of salvation and you believe who he is, what he did, why he did it, and so you receive him as your savior. That's belief in Christ. That's not superficial or just off the cuff, or somebody just screaming at his name, you must know these things. And so these last three verses of our text this morning explains why men and the world are condemned. John 3, 19 through 21, we'll take all these together. John 3 and 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So, all through the years, thousands, the Jews had been looking for this promised Messiah who had been prophesied all the way back in the beginning. Uh, he'd been prophesied all through the prophets and, and, and all through the, the, uh, the books of, that they had available to them. This Messiah who had been promised would be sent. And he was referred to often as light. The light. Over in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 5, this is one of those uh, prophetic passages that talks about this Messiah. And it says in Isaiah 60 and 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. 
and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. So this light that was prophesied to come, to shine his glory upon the darkness there of the Jews, but not only the Jews, here we see one of those passages that prophesies that the light is coming to the Gentiles. That's what it said there. Uh, uh, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. And so the darkness that's being referred to in our text is speaking of the ignorance of man. His ignorance to salvation. His ignorance of a Savior. And in fact, uh, Paul mentions this in his sermon there when he was in Athens. He was up on Mars Hill and he was preaching and he's talking about all those idols they had out there. And and in that, that sermon, in Acts 17 and 30, he told them, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. And so God said, Enough, you know, there's been enough light shined upon this world that men are no longer, I'm not going to wink at their ignorance. I'm not going to let it pass by. I'm going to hold them responsible, accountable for their sin because they know better. Light has shined on them. And so the Bible says he now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What did Jesus say when he came preaching? Repent. Repent is what Jesus said. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must repent. And so the light of the gospel was sent to shine that light on all the darkness. <clears throat> Over in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 4 and 13 through verse 17. The Bible says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelled in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and of the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what that's referring to in the Gospel of Matthew is scripture, like it said, in Isaiah. As Isaiah the prophet said it. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 is what that text is, refer is uh, looking back to. And that text says in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted, afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. Listen, we live in the valley of the shadow of death now. This world is in the valley of death. Darkness in, in darkness but a light has been sent. Over 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to be the light in the darkness of this world. That's what John 3, uh, 19 said. And this is the condemnation that light has come to the world and men love darkness rather than light. Not much has changed over 2,000 years. 
Men still love darkness rather than light. The world is still under condemnation because the light has been sent, yet the world refuses to come to the light, to receive the light, to take the light, to believe in the light, on the light. They love darkness more because it covers their sin. They don't want their sin exposed. They want to, don't want to be found out. They will not trust Jesus to save them because they would rather trust their own sinful heart. And these people are condemned already. The Bible said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What's those things that they must believe in? Who he is, the Son of God, the Savior, the only means of salvation. What he did, he came as a sacrifice for our sins. He was he died in our place. He was buried and he rose again in three days. Why did he do it? So that he could bring salvation to this lost and dying world. We would not have to perish and, and die uh, in our sins and uh, suffer the penalty of hell. And why do we need him? We have no other means for salvation. We can't work our way in. We can't pay our way in. Can't buy it. Can't trade it. Can't go on somebody else's. We all have to be saved. And we can only be saved by believing on the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the message. Lord, and for the word that you've given us in your holy Bible. And God, these truths that we know, Lord, we can't deny them. Lord, this dark world is, is condemned. Lord, those that don't believe on you, Lord, in your finished work on, on the cross, God, they're condemned already and bound for hell. I'm praying now today, God, that you convict those lost sinners, Lord, that's rejecting you, rebelling against you, Lord, trusting in their own works or, or their own uh, means, Lord, for salvation, God, to show them that they're deadly wrong. God, they need to trust Jesus, receive Him to be saved. God, I pray that this church can be a light in this world of darkness. God, shine your light out everywhere. Lord, uh, please uh, help us to remember all these folks, God, that we had on our prayer list this morning when we started. God, that they'll stay on our minds and our hearts and in our prayers. God, we thank you for everything you bless us with. May you receive any glory that we've done. Lord, it's all because you've allowed it. And God will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen.